0: Welcome to Three in a Crowd, the podcast all about creativity, mental health, social change, and how they interact. My name is Vanda Canton, and I'm an artist, facilitator, and researcher. Each week, I'll be talking to people using creative and artistic ways to change the way we think. Mandy and Kate are podcasters, coaches, activists, and soon-to-be authors. Their new book, Love Yourself Sober, is available for pre-order now before publication on the 3rd of September. If you haven't gathered from the title, they are advocates for sobriety and conversation around the impact of alcohol. Their podcast, Love Sober, launched in 2018 for the currently sober and sober curious with over 200,000 downloads since they began. They are well respected and much loved within the sober community, offering their own personal experiences and thoughts as a way to create dynamic spaces for others to consider theirs. They continue to address the grey area of drinking and providing options for people who are struggling with alcohol but do not necessarily get the advice or support they need. I always find Mandy and Kate to be incredibly nuanced in their approach and respectful of the individuality of recovery. I really admire these women and I think you will too. Mandy and Kate, welcome to Three in a Crowd. How are you doing?
1: Hello.
2: Yeah, really good. Excited. <clears throat> oh, it is exciting. For, it's so nice to when you, because uh, you know, when you do a podcast and you get used to introducing other people and it's so lovely to kind of hear the introduction and feel sort of like, <laughs> oh, I feel quite proud listening back to that.
0: <laughs> you should be proud. I mean, 200,000 downloads whoa <laughs> yeah and it took us about six months because we were
2: just doing it on our kitchen tables and we didn't actually know if it, we didn't know how to check our stats and we didn't know if anyone was listening so we were just laughing like having a chat and then when we left, we were like oh my god people are listening like we've got thousands of people tuning
0: in we have no idea <laughs> did you did you kind of expect it to to be so successful
1: Not not at all. I mean, I I guess, like, um, yeah, starting out, like, because I suggested the idea to Kate. So we met on a sober forum, which is Soberistas, which is kind of an anonymous forum, predominantly for women. And we both of us had been kind of blogging and in and out of sort of sort of the sober forums for about seven years. And I had just kind of returned to sobriety again, (gasps) like, woohoo. You know, I kind of started listening to American podcasts about sobriety and I was like, wow, this is like a brilliant way to have conversations. You know, it's intimate. It's about storytelling. It's kind of um, private. You can listen to it anywhere. You can be on the tube and no one really knows. You don't have to sit there with a book. So I was like, this is genius. But all the conversations were quite medicalized and quite kind. They just lacked that kind of British conversate like chat and just you know how it is for you know a lot of us which is kind of that growing up in sort of binge drinking and and that sort of drunkenness being something that you I don't know that's something that's cheered on and that's accepted and that's kind of part of our very much part of British culture so um I felt like it was a good conversation to have and especially as mums and you know that whole aspect and mental health um but yeah, I had no idea that anyone would listen. And then Kate and I are great because I think we're, we we complement each other very well because um, she's kind of that feminine energy and very like sparkly and very joyous and has a lot to say about self-care and a lot to say about that kind of side of things, which is so important and about it being aspirational and about it being, you know, a positive choice and a feminist choice. And, you know, and, and then I, I guess I've got that little bit of darkness of the kind of more mental health kind of chat and the research and stuff. So, yeah. And then Kate, you know, kindly kind of shared the whole love sober mission and um idea really and about the book and so we decided to collaborate and et voila that's how it all happened I suppose yeah
0: I mean there is there is so much in what you just said so let's unpack it a little bit or a lot so on the one hand, I think you're you touch on a really important point about the cultural aspect. than how, you know, drinking in Italy, for example, might be slightly different to the culture in the UK around drinking, which I think is, is something to consider a little bit. What's also quite interesting and I hadn't I hadn't actually thought about is the privacy of podcasting. And I think you're bang on that it is private and you can kind of listen to what you want and nobody else necessarily knows about it. But at the same time, I'm curious about how that impacts the way that you feel about it, because for you, it's not so private. You know, you're, you're very open around your own experiences and your own stories, which I think is amazing, but also terrifying. How do you navigate that kind of space and why do you think it's so important to share your own stories
2: um shall I start off okay I mean I think it's a journey for sure and I think when people are stumbling upon it or questioning if they're starting to question their drinking I think at that point it's confusing dark lonely etc and I think both of us were very nervous about being out you know being public about it um at the start so we we met on a sober forum you know soberistas which was anonymous and you create a little avatar and you create a fake name and i 100% would not have been ready i mean it took me years i think i was kind of i think it was my 5th year of being in the sober sphere to do a public blog and i i worked with a coach who again i met on soberistas um and she encouraged she I literally had to have help to come go public like I had one-to-one support and it was the biggest thing I remember publishing Love Sober as a blog and just shitting my pants so badly because I was like you know still even like at that point I was like what are people gonna think the school mums are gonna know people won't let their kids play with me everyone's gonna think I'm an alcoholic it was like it was really really scary so I think it's um you know, it's really important. I think one of the beautiful transformations is that we get more and more confident as we go on in our sober journey and more connected. And then we can talk about it publicly, you know, if we choose to. Um, and we are both quite sort of like, you know, I always say I'm an evangelist and you're an activist, aren't you, Mandy? So we were really, it, I think we were both really wanting to shout it from the rooftops, really. But just took us a while to get there because, like you say, the you know it's a personal journey as well, which which needs safety and privacy. I think for a lot of people,
0: Mm. yeah. And
1: I think Mm. um, you know part of the reason behind it was that you know we were reading stories and we were learning so much in kind of private, safe spaces about people's stories and the, the essence of reading other people's stories and learning that you're not alone and that. You know, and especially for us in this kind of grey area, which I'm sure we'll talk about where it wasn't like, you know, everything hadn't collapsed and we weren't, you know, going to rehab. It was just like a manageable kind of so say manageable problem within the home, you know, and and very much behind closed doors. And then you go into kind of these private sober spaces and and going, oh, my goodness, like, I'm not alone. Like, so many people are doing this. So many people are questioning it. So many people are going to the doctor and being told to moderate, uh, you know, but that's what they've been doing all this time. They've been trying to control it. They've been trying to put sort of numbers around it and, and, and manage it because we're told that it's really important to keep alcohol in our lives. And so it was like, well, if we can just be a little bit brave, and take that first step and also I mean we started really when you know just sharing stories of other women that were in our community and people that we knew and then it kind of built obviously we have like authors and kind of experts that come on the podcast now but initially it was really just like let's just have a chat chat. yeah Yeah,
2: that was our that was our mission statement wasn't it if we can just talk because we 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 believe so strongly that You know, healing happens um, when you, when people chat, when you talk, when you have that, like, oh, this has happened to me. This is, you know, and, and there's something very intimate about the voice, isn't there? And I think you and me talked about that, didn't we, man? We were like, okay, it's different from reading it. When you hear people's voices, you feel like you're in a room with them. And it has that sisterhood and that
0: camaraderie. Mm. I mean, I think. You probably know already how I feel about speech and voices. And I think, again, that is absolutely something that I would advocate, that there is something about speech which makes things... I suppose, in a way, it's the embodied experience. So it's not just some kind of random text that doesn't attach to a human being it's very very human what's interesting though is that you're also talking about uh you know being in a it's a physical space with people and, and sharing that the intensity of the atmosphere sometimes or that kind of physical connection now obviously we've just gone through or going through a global pandemic and I know that you have been talking a little bit about the impact on that of that Uh, on people who have had struggles before so what do you think the impact of corona has had on people's sobriety on connection and yeah your thoughts on that
1: I mean it's gone two ways really like part part of it has been quite positive in a way because we've had to get skillful about how we connect with people so you know there's been there's been a massive growth on kind of like online meetings um you know she recovers has two meetings a day for free which is amazing for women to kind of connect um and you know they're their sort of philosophy is we're all recovering from something so that's open to anyone who identifies as a being recovery whether it be from eating disorders or grief or whatever you know and so that's been an incredible sort of growth space for for women and you know and and in a lot of spaces that 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 has kind of I think when you're challenged it it makes you kind of get creative so in that sense it's been good on the other sense you know we've we're starting to work with alcohol change and they've just released some statistics about the kind of impact on drinking and certainly people are drinking more and the kind of statistics coming back is that there's no there's no kind of recognition of of not carrying on like that it's like well this is how i drink now so that's a very scary mm-hmm. kind of thing and you know and i think there're sort of worldwide there is a concern about the impact on mental health and so you know we talk very much about the kind of link between problematic drinking and mental health so there there is definitely like a a real um issue there and and again because you know a lot of sort of addictive practices are because of loneliness and because you feel like no one understands and that you're alone mm. so you know that 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 impacts on people too i think So, yeah, it's a a scary time, but we're being creative and that's what's great within the kind of recovery space, I think.
2: Mm. And I think it's really interesting about what you said about that kind of embodied experience, Vanda. Um, And I think my take on it would be we're doing the best we can, aren't we, all collectively, and thank God for technology. So I do quite a lot of yoga and there's nothing quite like being in a room with people and co-regulating and having that shared space. Mm. If you, if that's available to you and if they're the people you really vibe with, but thank God we've got the technology. So it might miss out on all that. You know, don't get me started on the polyvagal theory and nervous system regulation that we get when we practice together. Um, you know, it's all real, but, um, But those being able to sort of at least connect, see each other's faces now and have that sort of global reach again for people who we really vibe with, you know, and can have those conversations with. That's just a lifesaver, isn't it? And I I think, like you said, it's sort of creating these dynamic spaces and maybe we get our sober support online. Maybe then we get that feeling of having that, that nervous system regulation, which is so important to our sobriety if we go to if we can access something local you know we can sing with people we can you know if we approach it holistically we can pop the pieces together and the sober sphere works amazingly online I think Mm. that would be my take on it and I think everyone's realizing the power of connection now because of Mm. the self-isolation and the lockdown you know I think everyone's gone holy moly I didn't realize I wanted to run out into the street and hug people like hug everyone even the postman post like you know so let I me mean, just
0: take a pause to yeah. uh just acknowledge that you said holy moly <laughs> I mean, like-
2: holy moly I didn't swear I, didn't I
1: wasn't yeah. expect that we, we, it was so funny because we went out with uh, Kate's son who's like you know down with the kids now because he's like 12 or whatever and I was walking along and I was talking to him about like hip I was w- really trying to be cool I was like talking to him about hip-hop and people I knew and stuff and then I was just like jeepers creepers that scared me and he was like oh I cannot believe you just said that and I was like that's it that's done did Do you know what
0: yeah <laughs> I actually had uh, I, I had a 11 year old teaching me some UK slang recently and I was surprised I was like oh my days I actually can't even I don't even know what he's saying I and then he and then he was like okay tell me tell me some more of the you know this the slang word I mean even if I'm saying it now I'm like cringing and he and he said to me oh well there's one wagwan I was like bruv we've been saying that since yeah before you were on. born yeah wagwan. Anyway, the other thing that I wanted to pick up on as well, which has kind of just come into my mind, and I think it's something that I find quite difficult to talk about. And this is around kind of yoga, meditation and journaling or whatever, which for a lot of people is incredibly cathartic and helpful. For me, it doesn't work. And I feel that there is a certain... Let's go with hardness that I feel and that I carry, which I do not um, denigrate. I don't regret that. I like that element of myself. But I feel like sometimes a lot of the conversation around mental health and well-being is very soft and very gentle. And, you know, there are obvious benefits to that. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are on whether or not it could in my view or in my concern is that it's a hyper feminized way. Of living, and are there other ways for women who are not necessarily feminine or who do not necessarily want to slow things down in the same way that can connect? And am I completely wrong about that? Like, it could be that maybe the fact that it is difficult is telling in of itself. But I don't know. I feel like that's the gap for women who maybe are queer or consider themselves more masculine to engage with these different different ways of thinking. Mm
1: I think yeah, we there's well, two two um things going on Samantha yeah you take Yeah me. well I would oh, I I mean I wouldn't <laughs> want to sort of pigeonhole any persons kind of approach. I, I don't know whether it's necessarily feminine perhaps but certainly I don't know whether it's trauma-informed you know you know and for me that's I mean I i have really struggled to do anything in that realm because of kind of complex PTSD and so you know and I think it's a very very important part of you know how we move forward within talking about sobriety talking about recovery in whatever sense it is to be trauma-informed and that is trauma-informed for all groups you know and all people because um if you've had certain experiences or if you are of you know a certain you know color or if you're a certain you know um sexual preference you know whatever you know your own personal experiences that needs to be nuanced and that needs to be respected um so i think that's part of it and i think that's very valid because you know i i certainly think that there needs to be um sort of ways to approach that the other thing I would say is I I think a lot of these kind of movements have come out of a very masculine space so it was like you know I mean initially if you had any problems with alcohol the only place you could go was AA you know which was Mm. kind of written for men by men um, which is very masculine it's very about sort of breaking down the ego it's very much about kind of um, yeah that kind of um, that sense of of hard talk you know tough tough love and so I think for a lot of people that that didn't work either so I think there is it's kind of like we're in a it's gone very pro feminine spaces I I suppose and sort of more feminine approaches about kind of nurture and self-care which is very much where we sit and that's kind of been in a reaction to us not finding spaces where we could get help ourselves and so i think it will kind of just end up hopefully where everyone can get their needs met no matter what that is
2: yeah so i think i can really uh, i relate to what mandy said and i i totally agree i also think there's a couple of things that i want to pick on in that i think that the self-care has a really fluffy label but actually that's about self-leadership Self-advocacy, mm. Self advocacy, so um, agency and authority. I really do. That's that's the way back for so many women and and men. You know, it's having those chats. What do I need? When you can meet your needs, you're not going to outsource your needs to an addictive substance or behaviour. Hopefully, yeah, you're going to have more of a handle on it. So maybe it needs a slight rebrand there um the other thing is that you know i was talking about polyvagal theory and nervous system regulation and what man said about look you know for me it would be like do what works do what works keep doing that if something doesn't work let's have a look at it um and also there is a process you know if there has been trauma in the picture you're um meditation is maybe not going to be accessible and it's not going to be helpful because there is a a dysregulated nervous system occurring and to work with that you have to tone it you have to you know there there are there is a whole process and there's a whole kind of uh, system of working with somatics which can help tone and strengthen the nervous system And so it's a real you know like if you've had some kind of trauma then meditation is like right over the other side of what is going to be comfortable and helpful and in any way kind of pleasant for you yeah so that's uh, irene lyon is a good resource she's on youtube um and she works very much with and she can help sort of explain it from a from a kind of uh, a very practical sort of way way with that so i would say yeah if anyone's listening and going yeah that's not my bag that's great it doesn't have to be your bag and if there's trauma then uh, you can go and you know have a look at that as and when that that might feel right to you.
0: Yeah I mean I think thank you for those responses I think that they're really they're an example actually of what I was saying before about you being very nuanced and accepting of people finding their different ways to sobriety and also to recovery in whatever that looks like or however that feels um just to pick up on a few of your your point and there's so many things to pick up let's just talk for like hours because (laughs) your brains (laughs) I just want to explore them more firstly do I want to do this one first or do I want to do something else first let's do this one first in terms of the fluffiness of self-care actually i think that is a really good point about reframing it because there are some people talking about you know self-care as a radical act and actually i think that is a really important way of looking at it. and the self-leadership and the autonomy and independence is a very important concept within this so i really i like that a lot a few other things that you were talking about as well um just to go back slightly I think, Mandy, you said uh, when you're challenged, you have to get creative. Now, you were talking about that in the context of kind of creating online communities or finding different ways to connect. But I wonder how that actually manifests in your coaching as well and what kind of creative methods you're, you're using in your coaching and also what coaching even is.
1: Um, yeah, okay, so uh I'll I'll deal with the creative aspect. I mean I suppose um when we talk about kind of self-actualization and answering your needs, you know, it's it's very much about you know alcohol drinking or you know gambling or sex I mean addictions are vast, yeah. So like whatever you've developed a problematic relationship from you know, it's not because you're weak or because you're broken or because you're, you know, a a bad person. And, you know, I mean, that's part of the activism kind of conversation. It's not because you have sort of bad behavior. It's because something's happened to you and you're trying to fill a void and you're trying to feel better essentially so you've developed a maladaptive way of trying to manage your emotions so when you can get skillful and start building in things that you love and practices that you love and and things that nurture you in in a healthy way then you start to build your own kind of agency to make changes in your own life so you know creativity a lot of people that um kind of get successful I say in in sobriety or whatever recovery it is is by tapping into that creative part of their brain because essentially when you're when you're craving or when you want something you know we're a bit neuroscience nerds but you know that's kind of back brain it's your fight flight freeze it's like wow just give it to me I need it satisfied and I don't know and it's a real panic kind of way and part of the the way of kind of realigning your brain to work with your relational centers the you know where you make good logical decisions the the frontal cortex is by creativity and by kind of tapping into what gives you joy what um lights you up what gets you excited so um we we always kind of encourage that exploration with clients of like you know depending on the trauma informed kind of Aspect, it might be a looking back to when you were a child, like what did you love when you were younger? But perhaps that's not an appropriate, you know, it depends on the the client. It could be looking, sort of, dreaming about what do you love, like what do you see in other people that they do and you aspire to, you know, is that singing, is that dancing, is that kind of creating? And then looking how that impacts on the nervous system and the body. You know, for example, something annoyed me this morning, mm-hmm. this whole conversation. Going on about within the recovery, um, kind of within thought leaders, unfortunately, there is this kind of rhetoric that questions about racism is not a, a a question for recovery, which makes me really angry because of course it's a question of recovery because it's it's a trauma. So anything that is traumatic to a person should be addressed within the recovery uh, conversation. So it made me really angry. Um, And anger's not a bad emotion, but it needs processing, you know. So I put on Angie Stone pissed off tune and I danced around my living room singing that, you know, and it helped me process what was going on. So I used a creative practice, dance, uh, listening to music, which is creative, listening to the lyrics of someone else to help me process a difficult emotion. And, you know, before I got sober... I would have held that in my body all day. I would have not understood what it was about. I would have rushed through the day being really busy, overwhelmed. I probably would have shouted at my kids because I was feeling tension. Then I would have felt worse about myself. And then I would have opened a bottle of wine and that would have been my way of solving it. So, yeah, I guess that's the way creativity comes into coaching because you're like, so, you know, what? Let's, let's explore what fills you up, you know, so you're not left kind of um vulnerable i suppose yeah i don't know if you've got anything to add kate about what's coaching yeah, no, I, think, I think
2: you explained that really beautifully and a really lovely example as well <clears throat> and i love your kitchen dancing um what i would say yeah so to sort of clarify i guess why coaching is a is a good is proving successful, you know, as a, as a kind of a missing piece that people are, are, are finding useful, is it's it's quite respectful. If it's done right, it's respectful um, because it's very client-led. So it's um, very person-centred. There's a lot of reflection um, with the clients where you reflect and mirror and match their language. So you rapport with them. So that's going to affect the relational centres and build agency, like Mandy said. There's a lot of um, positive psychology behind it, which, again, they're all evidence-based practices um, to build what we're saying about agency. So if you've, you know, if you've outsourced, if you've had trauma, if you've had uh, you know, places of disempowerment, you're going to need to build that agency. And, and so that sense of choice and not being labelled and being able to choose your own language, your own practices, your own fit is hugely important for that process um like it's really fundamental and i think we're only because of the emerging neuroscience and evolutionary theory and you know the science of happiness that's coming in um, and how that intersects with positive psychology and coaching um, i think we're only just starting to realize it it's really emerging so it's really exciting and i think really when you just we feel like we're sort of a bit on the crest of the wave with it I suppose but it's like is it working it certainly seems to be and the other part of that though is what what we seem to be finding as well is is our group processes then if you plug people into right you can work individually with a coach that's really useful but once you plug them into a group practice you see magic happen because then you're getting the connection and the peer report and support with each other and more empowerment because they're like yeah i'm going to take this i'm going to mirror that back to you so we're doing sort of women women space women only spaces with groups which is yeah i mean that's lighting us up at the moment i don't know if that um that answered that question i think i went off the subject a bit. and more
0: and more um yeah. But this is really, really hard for me to structure my thoughts because I'm like, yeah, and this and this and this. Um, I also just to just touch on the, the groups and so I, I do run groups, um, primarily using uh, rap, spoken word, sound, sometimes just noise, which is brilliant. Um, and also with individuals. And it is very different um when you're working one to one or you're working in a group, and both have massive advantages. And I do think that you're right about the, that kind of group dynamic can give another layer. And again, it's that embodied experience, isn't it? But in terms of the, the one-to-one, um, you know, really what you're talking about in terms of being holistic, building rapport, talking about your own experiences, is this essence of trust. If you've had a traumatic experience, that trust becomes fundamental, and it's also very hard to find, right? Now, we've also been talking about trauma. And I think there are there are multiple levels to trauma, which you've already mentioned. So you have the kind of personal trauma, which people are maybe more familiar with. People are not necessarily uh, as familiar with the idea or the concept that actually there are political and social traumas as well. And when we're talking about racism, I think it that is really needs to be at the forefront um, of what we're talking about. And just to think about, wherever that trauma comes from how that links to drug and alcohol use so what I'm thinking of here is that you're very cautious and considered in the way that you use language and you're not talking about alcoholic and addiction and dependency you're using much more accessible language which I think is is not only important but it's also more hopeful because if you go to AA and you say, hello, my name is whoever, and I'm an alcoholic or whatever, it's almost like you're, that's it, you're labelled now. And there is, if you think about the the idea of the model of change, so, you know, you move to action and you you might have a relapse, it goes round and round. At some point, you've got to get off the loop. Do you know what I mean? And the way that we use language is so important for us to believe that we can exit that circle. But also, I guess my question is, I kind of feel like I know what the the answer is. So, you know, whatever, I'll ask it anyway. Do you think that trauma plays a significant role in the development of drug and alcohol difficulties? And also, do you think that if we reframed drug and alcohol difficulties as a traumatic response, there would be less stigma?
1: Mandy go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know a brilliant kind of writer about addiction gabo Mate, you know his sort of thing is like you know um the question is not not what you did it's the question is what happened to you you know and we have this kind of criminali- c- criminalization of kind of addiction and of of you know that it's it's seen as uh, abnormal kind of Antisocial behaviour, you know, and a lot of policies, you know, within kind of government, and and I mean, it broke my heart. I wrote a, a I read a report that was brought out in two thousand and four from the Mental Health Foundation, so a huge report about kind of what was going on in the UK, and not talking about sort of rock bottom addiction, but talking about sort of self medicating um, with alcohol. You know, the general public essentially. Um, and saying this is the problem. This is the problem. Like this is what we need to look at. You know, all the funds go into kind of you know antisocial behavior orders. This is not where we need to be putting our money and our kind of. We should be looking at why people are self medicating. They're stressed. Um, and I suppose, yeah, I think if you if you start putting trauma at the center you can kind of understand why it's a spectrum of addiction it's not like you know all of a sudden oh I'm fine and then all of a sudden you know you're putting vodka on your cornflakes like that's not how these things work and you know Kate and I I mean it's been a long kind of understanding process from going of like you know I wasn't an alcoholic wasn't that because we both knew people that that had serious dependency issues with alcohol so we had a a reference and we were looking in the mirror going I'm not there like I you know I've got some kind of control over this but I'm not happy and I don't want it to continue and I want to stop and trying to stop is really hard so it was like I'm not white but I'm not black I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm gray and so then if you put trauma on top of that it's like like you know how how big the trauma is and 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 how impactful it is on your brain is' gonna have an impact on on what drug you go for you know what and that's also very so- circumstance and socio economically kind of linked as well, but also you know every day we have impactful experiences you know so when you start when you start looking at adverse childhood experiences, which is a huge kind of study that's come out it's like divorce has an impact is traumatic you know and um shame bullying you know and so then you're looking as a female sort of experience it's like well you know self-esteem is so low in so many women because we grow up kind of being shamed for our body being shamed for our teeth our hair like body hair all of this you know bullying the way that we're spoken to the way all all of this is impactful and so all of this plays a part in why people drink so yeah I mean trauma is Fundamental to
0: can I can yeah. I just um just to uh, I'm noticing that I'm increasingly challenging in my podcast recording, so let's get going. Um, just to touch in on the divorce thing, um, yeah. the divorce thing. <laughs> but just uh given it sounds that like you're you're framing that within, you know, you're talking about trauma can come from so many different places, and that yeah. these things can be impactful and considered in a, in a trauma-based way i mean i'm uncomfortable with that and i am uncomfortable with the idea that divorce is necessarily a trauma um i'm not necessarily sure why i'm so <clears throat> partly do you know what it is partly is because my concern would be that you know i remember seeing professionals and wanting support with x y and z and they would ask me well are your parents divorced yes my parents were divorced didn't bother me it did not have an impact on me so why is that being focused rather than things some experiences that I did have mm. that were completely negated mm. to focus on my parents divorce do you know what I mean
1: yeah it's very very valid point and it's um you know and this is another part of the kind of trauma conversation is that not all people are impacted by things the same way so it's like you know we can we can both walk away from a car crash and you can be like chip off the block like didn't you didn't have any impact or someone else can be deeply like lifetime impacted by that and it you know and it's to do with timing it's to do with their um you know sensibility it's to do with other traumas that they might have experienced that top that you know and I think it's and that's why individual approach and and kind of validating individual stories are so important because it's like you know, yeah, we've talked about this, having complex PTSD, you know, and then someone saying that COVID is traumatic is challenging, you know, because it's like that let's let's let's, you know, not forget quite how impactful kind of trauma can be. But it's also looking at the kind of the nuances for that individual person and going, oh wow, within your experience because this really kind of tripped me up when I was younger because you know, my best friend's mom was an alcoholic. Her life was extremely difficult. You know, another best friend had very, very difficult things going on with her family. Another friend had, again, like we were the generation of divorce. There was a lot going on. My parents were together and are still happily married, but I was more fucked up than my friends. So it was like, let's, you know, what else was going on? It's because I was super sensitive. It's because I was, you know, I had really low confidence and self-esteem issues, you know? So it's like, it's part of the conversation and again it's like attachment theory is part of it those early years but it's not everything so it's about having the whole conversation and and Mm. looking at the individual and again as mums I know Kate wants to jump in but as mums it's like that that carries a lot of shame for us because it's like you know if we don't do a perfect job you know we are going to ruin our kids lives so it's like we've got to take it and also like talk about men dads you know, other people in the situation, whatever else is going to happen. So yeah, it's, it, you're absolutely right. It's not. It's part of it, but it's not everything.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. I was going to say the other piece when you, you reminded me, Mand, when you were like, "Okay, so what's going on for me when my friends' lives look much, much worse?" You know, and another uh, part of the piece, uh, the jigsaw, is the neurodiverse element as well which um neurodiversity if you're on the autistic spectrum ADHD um you know you might have, be a highly sensitive person you might have dyspraxia there's a whole host now um and that basically um I interviewed uh, an amazing educationalist on the podcast who uh now works with that she left education because she was considers the way that kids and what they have to ha- um, put up with in school, if they are neurodiverse, because often it just doesn't get picked up. It's labelled as deviance. Once again, there is some stat that says you are one hundred percent likely, if you have an undiagnosed ADHD as a adolescent, undiagnosed and unmedicated, you are a hundred percent likely. You have a hundred percent chance of medicating, self medicating with drugs or alcohol and alcohol. So it's a huge, huge thing. And she believes that, you know, this, when you are not seen and you have a neurodiverse condition, that's trauma. It's like they are adverse childhood experiences. So there's, there's that kind of thing where I would say to Mandy, you probably had some neurodiverse stuff going on that you know what i mean we've talked about her possible adhd highly sensitive person you know i identify as having sensory processing issues that cause enormous anxiety so again the and also ACA, i had aces but um yeah i think it's like you going back to that kind of nuanced thing and asking well how is it for you how is it for you um which is so important isn't it it's that key it's like What's my story? Because we all have a story, we all have a narrative, and it's not mm-hmm. going to be the same as somebody else's. And healing that is that that's our pathway to sorting out our addictions or our, you know, our our struggles and our pain. It's our own pain, isn't it? So,
1: yeah, and um, I think I'm... yeah. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, and I think something that you picked up and which was kind of our something that we're very keen to kind of talk about more is the disconnect between the stories that are coming out of actual people's experiences and then the kind of medical diagnoses that are coming out you know and it and that you know that's the that's the problem is that you know you get you get labeled or you get put in a certain box because certain experiences Uh, without really kind of identifying the whole picture and looking at you you know and looking at your mental health your physical health your experiences and just that the whole thing and so that's where the work needs to be done you know to to inform and and also the biases you know because certainly you know with alcohol there's a lot of professionals that drink you know alcohol and so when you go they they they're generally the kind of advice and we did a survey the advice is well you know moderate you know keep it in your life because that's what they want to do and so you know th- th- those biases need to be looked and again you know in any kind of yeah it's is that's where there's kind of big big issues going on I suppose.
0: I um I feel like I know I've probably mentioned this to both of you before this is not going to come as I need a jingle because I feel like sometimes I'm like "Uh uh-oh I've got an unpopular opinion coming and I need if anyone's out there that wants to do a jingle for my unpopular opinion can you please hit me up slide into my dms and send me your jingles okay (laughs) here is Banda's unpopular opinion um possibly not but I am going to raise it because I feel like it's really something I feel very passionate about and I feel like it is quite complicated and it needs to be unpacked and considered. So everything that you've said makes sense to me. And I'm just trying to tie these things together. This idea of trauma, this idea of social standards, this idea of gray area, this idea of, you know, social relations, whatever. And also the medical diagnosing, labeling, whatever. Is there a danger? that we are moving into a world where everything is diagnosable um, and actually is that detracting? If I'm thinking back to the really, for me, quite impactful slogan of we are not disabled, society disables us, which is very powerful to me. And I wonder whether sometimes we are so focused on diagnosing because we need to gain access to support And that is often the way that we do that, which is important. And I'm not downplaying that at all. On the other hand, my push is to think, okay, irrespective of that, where is that coming from? Possibly the problem is capitalism and the socioeconomic situation and the socioeconomic structures that exist without that maybe we wouldn't even need to pathologize these things and actually be like, well, you know what? I mean, this, this podcast is called Three in a Crowd, right? And the reason is because we're celebrating the multidimensional parts of humanity and the fact that we've all got different things going on because we're human and humans are complex. So perhaps on the one hand, everybody is in recovery from something and on the other is the trauma actually beyond us. It's not even at an individual level anymore, but it's something wider. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think we we talk about this, don't we, man? And I think it's that whole, we talk about macro and micro influences and it's like the problem with, that we saw as well with sort of traditional recovery models, say, for example, is it's all on the individual. I am an alcoholic. There's nothing wrong. You know, mm. it's like, let's call bullshit where bullshit needs to be called. And it's like, well, there's a socio-normative drinking culture. There is a patriarchal structures that are necessarily traumatic for people. There is a lot of stuff with capitalism. There is poverty. There is ch- massive, massive child pro- poverty in the UK at the moment. Like there was some study going on recently about I can't remember how much it was, but it is You know, my friend was saying in the 80s, we were like, uh, you know, trying to do live aid. We never thought at that point we'd be looking at at the UK as actually, shit, we need to sort this out. We didn't realize. And it's like it's happening. So it's like there's a 360 here for sure. You can't have this conversation in isolation and just put it down to the individual. But. Like you said, there's the diagnosis. And at the moment in the UK, there's treatment pathways. So you are either pushed down a mental health treatment pathway, except there's no bloody services for that. So that is a, a bullshit pathway. Or you're pulled pushed down this, this addiction pathway. So there is no conversation between the two. And also then you've got that being seen as deviant behaviour. So you've got a real disconnect in terms of conversation in terms of services as well so your unpopular opinion is like well hell yeah you know yeah. that's that's the work in it that's so what we're gonna smash the patriarchy as well mandy but we Indeed. gonna do we'll do it um vanda can i because you know you said this this is about um creativity as well right mm. and before like i i wanted to bring up the work of Mihai Chiu Mihai, who was the uh, while well, he was post World World War Two, the guy who looked at flow and creativity as a massive resilience tool. So, well, we we just I wanted to kind of pull his work out as well because for the sake of kind of feeling bleak, and this is my Mrs. Me Sparkly Cake coming back and going, yes, but look, um he studied um World War Two survivors. And was very interested in who was thriving and who was sinking. And one, he he seemed to find that people, creatives, um, and people who had some kind of yeah creative outlet, they tended to thrive and survive. And so he looked at resilience within this and he identified the state of flow, which many people sort of identify as this. You know when you get lost in the moment and you can... Make sense of things and time goes elastic and all the rest of it is incredibly good for our resilience so I love the fact that you're pulling out this creativity as part of this piece Mm -hmm. and that is something that we we need to fight for right in the bigger picture in terms of funding but it's stuff that we can really build on ourselves as well so I just wanted to put that in there before I forgot about
0: Yeah. yeah no I think that I think that's great um I I also think to Uh, this is I don't think this is an unpopular opinion but let's give it a go um I think in terms of creativity I mean it in some ways it's the thread running through this conversation because on the one hand we're talking about things like yoga and mindfulness are in of themselves creative to different people in different ways right and for me I'm definitely not if anyone doesn't know I'm not an advocate for traditional mindfulness whatsoever I really don't like it but I do find if I'm writing or listening or playing around with music that is to some degree my mindfulness however I suppose it also comes back to this political angle because some people's creativity is criminalized and I feel like I have to say very clearly that I do feel and to bring it back to racism that some creativity like hip-hop and rap uh, is criminalized if you look at UK drill and how that's being censored and I think um, maybe that's that's something that we need to address like how why is it that some creativity is more permissible than others do you know what I mean um but yeah I I think that's a really and you know that that flow is so translatable to music as well which is my first love um I also just before we wrap up it's really important for us to talk about this bloody book that you've got coming out which is <laughs> so exciting and I I want to know everything and I know you're not going to tell me everything, but I'm gonna see what you will tell me. And also I would be really curious to hear what the actual process was like because it is a creative process and it's also I would imagine incredibly stressful. So how are you feeling about it coming out? what was the process like and tell us as much as you can about the book.
1: Um yeah I mean it uh, just full disclosure it wasn't very stressful because we worked together so like and you know and that's been amazing and yeah, yeah when you when you collaborate with people and and that you have a kind of uh, a very very deep level of mutual respect um you know it's it's been an absolute pleasure really you know because we just kind of I'm terrified of a uh, of a blank page so Kate takes the first you know stab at the spreadsheet uh, so. yeah <laughs> of a chapter you know so so you know and then I can then I can kind of work with that I like to sort of you know break things apart and put them back together again and shift stuff around um and so and then Kate will sort of add some sparkle and then I'll add some facts and so yeah that's kind of I mean, we've definitely worked on our strengths um what's it about it's a self-care guide to alcohol-free living for busy mum mums or mothers mothers um so yeah I'll, I'll let Kate explain kind of why because it was her it was her book initially and then she luckily kind of and thankfully brought me in on the project <laughs> um in terms of the creative process of getting it out there um we we work together but we also asked for help so you know other authors that we knew we kind of asked them what their processes was and you know we we were strongly strongly advised to kind of um, get an agent first so we had kind of had some publisher meetings and things like that because you're like you want to do it on your own Um, and we were kind of constantly strongly just like get an agent get an agent so then we re kind of shifted to to get an agent sending out proposals. Uh, and luckily we got taken on by an agent and then they took over the process of getting a deal. Um, and it is uh, published by Mental Health uh, Independent Publishers. So that's really, really nice for us because you know some of the profits go into their foundation and into their mental health work. Um, so that feels really good and really positive. Um, and yeah, I'll let Kate sort of say a bit more.
2: Yeah, well, I'd like to sort of echo what Mandy said. It's just, it was an absolute pleasure, um, and I just think we we feel very lucky that we work together. Um, and like Man said, so I used to be a journalist and a features writer. So I and Mandy is an amazing um, sort of factual writer. So it's sort of we highlighted our our strengths. And again, yeah, I'm not afraid of a, a brainstorm and a and a and a blank page. So. Mandy can often really pin down an idea and bring research to it, and I can bring that kind of features writer sort of uh, angle to it so we what our idea was that we want to it to be a clever book but like and to have the proper research in it, but we want it to be like your best friend because it comes from our journeys a mixture of our journeys being on the ground talking to other mums being at the school gates going holy moly I've said it again (laughs) everyone talking about three yeah I'll make sure I get another one in so why wear
1: her as well so you know she's holding it back I
2: know so that kind of yeah like school mums that that kind of that real kind of gritty on the ground stuff but also having all the evidence-based stuff from all of our studies because the other side of us is like we're proper like neuroscience nerds we love studying we have literally studied our asses off the last seven years and read every book there is so it's kind of that balance between you know getting it right and being informative enough practical enough and best friend-ish enough as well because at the end of the day we're all mums and we're all women together um so it's really it's really like that, I suppose, is, is our mission with it. And, it, yeah, it was my idea, but that's because I was used to the medium of writing, I guess, um, in my work. But I love the She Recovers kind of motto of together we're stronger because it's basically everything that is true. It's like I couldn't have done it without Mandy. Mandy couldn't have done the podcast just sitting there talking to herself. So. <laughs> I probably I don't know have to really just, have, you start, just have an <laughs> yourself. But you know, and um so what I don't know what about to say about we I think as well, you know, like when you work together it gives you that confidence. So like you know, we worked with an editor, we worked with an amazing publisher of all women yeah. and they're a mental health charity, and we had such a great um we had such a great experience and so they were like got us in. For the cover brief, they wanted our input in that. How do you want to work? We were like, look, we're sh- we need to have deadlines, right? So we were able to break it down month to month and work as we saw we could with a copy editor, backwards and forwards. Like, they respected the fact that we were busy mums. They were amazing. Yeah, they were. So we love Trigger. They're amazing. And and Jane, Jane the
0: agent. Um, yeah. Trigger publishing, yeah?
2: Trigger yeah.
1: publishing, so, yeah.
2: and are so brilliant um
0: big up trigger yeah, publishing
2: and they are a mental health publisher and the, and you know that's a whole story in itself which we haven't got time to go into but yeah we, we've been really really lucky um and we hope it just goes like you know helps and blows open the conversation i think one one thing that we always said is just let's ask better questions like so it's not about mum shame and you've got to be a perfect mum and give up drinking and da da, da. it's like okay what what do you need? Like you're being sold again, Vanda, because we're talking about this socio normative culture, something that's convenient for the patriarchy of capitalism to get mums working their butt off and tell them if they have a glass of wine at the end of the day, they're just that's good enough. It's not good enough. So let's ask better questions about what support we need and how to, you know, to help be well in ourselves and our
0: families. Mate, that was definitely the soundbite for this episode boom i completely i just actually on that note just want to um mention a few campaigns that i think uh people that agree with what you just said might want to have a look at uh one is called wages for housework um which is wicked and everyone should get involved um and that's crossroads Women's center and global women's strike they're amazing the other thing just to mention as well is that throughout this episode we have name dropped slightly she recovers and if you're thinking she recovers what then you better subscribe to iTunes because more will be coming soon. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think it is time for what's the three, the variation of the question I'm asking everybody. So generally it's kind of like top three. Duh, 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 duh. Um, so Mandy and Kay, I'm going to ask you to give me three words because the reason, let me give you the backstory to this. Um, so you kindly had me on your podcast and you asked me what were my reason for loving sober. And I was thinking, maybe I should ask you that. Like how how much do you get asked that as well? And and to talk about it for yourself. So my question to you both is are is what are the three words that you would use to describe sobriety so for example mine would be and they can be contradictory it's fine this podcast is partly about contradictions and the beauty in that for me I would say that sobriety is fierce I would say that it's empowered and I would also say it can be scary what are your three What the three
2: uh freedom pride and badassery
0: hmm love mandy yes i've just had a thought yeah instead of words can you do it in sound
2: oh no that's not fair kate's the singer you could do it in um accent oh,
1: no. No, no, like...
0: avoid accents <laughs> i i i I've, I've, i'll
1: offend loads of people but i am quite yeah. good at accents but um no i can't do it in sounds don't so, no, i'm too shy um 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 see there you go <laughs> um, um um no words I would say um discovery knowledge and peace
0: mm. we just made exactly the same mm sound <laughs> maybe that's a sound of sobriety mm. Yeah, mm. It'll be like
1: ah,
0: hmm. Oh, there we go. Yeah, you did it! <laughs> that I knew we would get some sounds. Such
1: a performing <laughs> monkey. I'm like, well, she asked me, so I must do it.
0: <laughs> I relate. I relate. All right, cool. So, um tell us, Mandy and Kate, where can people find out more about you? Just a reminder: uh, Love Yourself Sabre is out on the third. Oh, the third of September, right? Uh, three on the oh, third yeah.
1: oh, You're listening
0: to three ain't a crowd and it's out on the third so that should be very easy for you to remember where can people pre-order what are your socials what's your website
1: um so www dot love there was a lot of w's there probably too many <laughs> um love sober.com um i am at mandy manners coach on instagram our joint instagram is at Lovesober.cic because we're a community community interest company, which is important to us as well. Um and what was the other? Oh, all all bookshops um go independent, but please leave lovely five-star reviews on Amazon. Um and yeah, it's it's open. Yeah. Book discovery is free what depository, thank you. Uh, thank you, is um free worldwide. Um post and packaging um amazon um waterstones yeah wherever um kate you are
2: at bailey coach aren't i i'm i'm at kate bailey coach we're on facebook as well the best way though is lovesober.com because that will signpost you to all of our stuff yeah
0: thank you very much and whilst you're looking for mandy and kate you can follow me at Van de canton that's W-A-N-D-A. And my website is right. And also is a ww. Does anyone say www anymore? Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> uh, I show me my age. No, <laughs> but I keep saying it. I keep saying ww.vandekanton.cody. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, why am I saying w anyway? Basically, the website is www. <laughs> Vandercanton.co.uk. Thank you both so much for oh, being you. here. Make sure you pre order the book ASAP. Thank you for listening to Three in a Crowd with Vanda, Mandy and Kate. Don't forget to leave a rating and comment on iTunes or wherever you're listening so that other people can find us. Get involved in the conversation. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date as more episodes are released. By the way, my note says more episodes are realized, which is also fine. So whether you would like to hear the episodes say realized, possibly another podcast. But anyway, on that note, we will see you next time you